Amen and good morning. So good to be with you. Thank you, worship team. That was wonderful. I was, first of all, you guys sound great. You guys sound great. I was pretty wrapped up in worship. I was getting a little teary-eyed. It was mainly tears. Um, but I was like, dude, you got to get it together. You got to preach here, man. So, but I'm good. I'm good. But it is a pleasure to be with you, and we have been thrilled to be joining you this weekend. We've had a great time getting to know your leadership, and I just want to say, your, your elders and your governing board, they love you. They love you very much. They are concerned for following the Lord's leading in this process. They love this church family. They love Jesus, and they love this community. And you can have full confidence they are pursuing the Lord in this process. And you can also, you can also be confident that Megan and I, and, and our boys, as much as they're understanding and able to, are praying through this process too. God's in it. That's what we know. And so we're taking steps as he is leading, and we're going to continue to do exactly what we feel like he is asking us to do. So... But it is a pleasure to be with you. I am Nate Sickler. This is my wife, Megan. Our boys are Elliot and Duncan. You would hear and see them if they were in here because they're seven and five. So it's a good thing they're not. (laughs) But uh, we are currently residing in Big Lake, Minnesota, which is much uh, colder than here right now. And so it's great to be in what we would consider almost spring-like weather currently. And we're having a great time. But uh, um, we, uh, we are from Western PA. Megan was born and raised in Oil City just down the road. And I am a little bit from all over, but Western PA is home. And so we are thrilled to be connecting with you. And I am thrilled that I get to share God's word with you today because we serve an amazing Savior. Amen? And we have the opportunity to come before him today and to explore what he would have for each of us and say, Lord, how can I grow with you? What is my next step in my walk with you? And we're going to be looking at uh, one passage in particular. You can feel free to turn in a Bible if you have one, either in digital or hard copy, to Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to be parked today. Um, And we're going to be talking about relationships. Relationships are like going down a road, aren't they? Every relationship we have has a journey to it. Some relationships are very, very smooth and pretty straightforward. Think like interstate highway. You just kind of, and you're going. Some of them have a few twists and turns, though, don't they? And some of them might be a little more like an off-road track that you need a 4 by 4 vehicle because you're going up and over big boulders and you're like, I'm not sure we're going to make it through this. Have you been there? Yeah. Our relationships have all kinds of different nuance to them and all kinds of different roads. And the beginnings of relationships can actually be some of the most challenging, but they are also full of some of the most opportunity. When I was getting to know Megan, we were in middle school. That's a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long ago, but it's longer. it gets longer every day. We were in middle school, and we got to know one another, and um, middle school is not at all awkward, is it? <laughs> we, uh, 
we began to get to know one another in a combo of being like in classes at church, but then we were at school and stuff, and we'd like write notes. This, was, this dates us a little bit, because there's a whole lot more efficient digital ways for kids to get to know one another now. It's like, I could just text you. But we would write, we, you ever see those notes where kids are like writing, 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 and then they like fold it all up and make like an origami something out of it, and then they pass it in the classroom. That was how we got to know each other. It's like, do you like me? Check yes or no. <laughs> actually, I don't know if I actually did that one or not. Did I? I don't know. We don't remember. Again, it's, it's been a while. But that was a unique thing. There was some awkwardness to it. There was a little like, who goes first here? Do I take a step or do you? And does she like me? Does she not? I don't know. That's the way every relationship is to an extent. We progress and we move on, don't we? We, we? As we become adults, the relational connections become a little bit more natural, but there's still a little bit of like, ooh, I don't know. Should I take the first step or should they? Um, I, I know a thing or two about this person. I don't know if I really want to get to know them. But mm, what should I do? There's, there's a... There, that was, it, it happens, right? There's, there's a story in Mark where Jesus initiates a relationship. And in this story, it shows us the heart of who God is and also the heart that he would have us have with others. And so that's what we're going to explore as we dig into this. And I want to just share something right out of the gate. In a world where misunderstanding, confusion, and even betrayal are commonplace, and we all know that, right? We all know we can be misunderstood or we misunderstand others. We all know that we have confusion and there's definitely betrayal in this world, right? In that world, Jesus shows us a path towards healing and hope. And so that's what we are going to explore. So go ahead and look at Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now that seems pretty straightforward and pretty okay. He saw this guy, he's walking down the road. Hey, come follow me. Okay. But there was a lot more to this. There's a lot of cultural and social things that were actually really awkward in this moment. The first is that it says that Levi was a tax collector. Tax season's coming, right? Everybody's favorite time of the year. No. No. April's coming, and we all have to get our taxes together and, you know, do that whole thing. Tax collectors in our society, though, are not viewed like tax collectors in the first century. Tax collectors in the first century, in particular in Israel at this moment, were considered people that were betraying their people. You see, the people of Israel were under subjugation from the Roman Empire, and as such, they were in a place where they couldn't do all the things they wanted to do. They were not a free people. They had to listen to Rome to an extent. Part of that was that Rome wanted their money, which is what every government wants, right? It kind of happens. 
we, we want resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the Roman government wanted money, and the way that they chose to, to exercise taxes from people was they would use people from those specific people groups as the liaison, as the middleman for them, because they knew the language, they knew the people, you know, they knew if somebody might have been holding back on them because they were in the community and they knew them. But here's what also happened. Most tax collectors in the first century were also, they, they had compromised already in their life by becoming someone who works for the enemy in some ways. They're, they're willing to work for Rome. And so they often would keep compromising. And they were people that would skim off the top. So like, let's say you owed $500 in taxes this, this time around. They would, they would say, you owe $750. And they'd take that extra $250. So how do you think their reputation was in the community? Pretty rough, right? Who, if, if you're living that way and you're getting rich off the, off the folks that you live with, you're not going to be everybody's best friend. And that was the case with Levi. He was somebody who society was saying, I don't want to touch that guy. I don't want to get close to him. I don't want to know him. I'm only going to deal with him when he comes and finds me or when I absolutely have to. And that's it. So for a rabbi like Jesus to come to him and actually pay attention to him was completely countercultural. In fact, it would be shocking in that moment for him to even have had a conversation. Most rabbis would have just walked him by, maybe, maybe walked by a little further just to make sure he didn't like go, hey, did you pay your taxes? You know. But Jesus walks up to him. It says, he saw Levi. And he came to him and he said, follow me. And this little phrase, he saw Levi, speaks so much into the heart of God for you and for me today. Because the fact that he noticed him is so significant. It says so much about who God is. In fact, Jesus notices and pursues those that are easily overlooked, written off, and ignored. He absolutely does. And each of us, no matter how popular we have been, no matter how successful we have ever been, have at one point or another been misunderstood, been written off, and been ignored. Haven't we? Whether that's something from a long time ago, whether it be relational, or it might be something within work right now, maybe you feel like you got passed over, and you were like, whoa, does nobody notice what I'm doing? Uh, I, I thought that I was doing a good job, and man, my boss seems to be recognizing someone else. Or maybe, maybe it's something as simple as when I, like when I was in seventh grade, I tried out for the basketball team. I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't make it. I got cut. That was kind of a weird thing. Now, if you would play basketball with me, you would understand why. Not all that great. That's not my sport of choice. I'll enjoy it, but yeah. They wanted to be a competitive team. There was a good reason they didn't pick me. That's okay, but we all have experienced that rejection. We've all experienced feeling like we're ignored from people. But if we're really honest with ourselves, each one of us, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, probably have felt that way with God too, at one point or another. 
as we've been praying and we've been asking God to work in a particular way, whether it be something in our relationships or maybe in our health or maybe in our career, and we're, we're saying, God, will you come and will you work? We don't feel like anything's happening. Have you been there? We all have at one point or another where we start to wrestle with, man, is God there and is he paying attention? Is, that, is he there and does he care? about what's going on in my life. I'm here today to tell you, he sees you. He sees you. And you know how I know, and you know how you can know? This thing right here. This right here. The cross. Watch out for the step. The cross tells us that God sees us and that he pursues us. You see, Generations ago, we were originally designed and created by God the Father to be people in intimate relationship with him. We were designed to follow him. We were designed to be people that walked hand in hand with God, him leading and us going, okay, let's go. I want to be with him. But our forefathers, Adam and Eve, they said, just like, just like my kids will occasionally say, I want to do it myself. That's really what we did. We, we were walking with God and we said, I, I want to do this life thing myself. I don't want to follow. At the core of what they did, that's exactly what they did. They said, we, no, I'm going to do it myself. And what that did was bring something called sin into the world. Now, in our society, sin has a variety of definitions and people throw it around sometimes and it becomes kind of confusing. But there's a really easy biblical definition of sin. Sin is anything that we do, think, or say against God or against other people or anything that we fail to do that is right for God or for people. That's sin. That's it. And we all do it. And it's because we originally had that thing happen with Adam and Eve. It's called the fall. We all have inherited that tendency, that sickness, that death in our lives. We've all inherited sin, and that separates us from God. My pastor in Minnesota, he calls it spiritually defective DNA. I think that's a really good way for us to think about that. We all have spiritually defective DNA. And that's separated us from relationship with the Father. And we don't have in and of ourselves a way to fix that. We broke it, and we can't fix it. It's kind of like some tech toys, like my phone. Like, I could break this. There ain't no fixing it for me, you know? But Jesus came, and he said, I love them. I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to put on skin, become one of them. And he did. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on a cross for you and for me to give us opportunity at restored relationship with the Father. It's the greatest hope our world has and each of us have. It's an amazing truth. And so if you ever wrestle with, does God see me? Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Jesus saw Levi. And he said, Follow me. Come on, let's go. And Levi got up and he followed him. 
So let's keep going. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the Pharisees often get a bad rap, and some of it's deserved. But in this moment, I think I can understand where they're coming from. You see, they lived in a society that had some, some very big cultural uh, flags that if you waved them, people went, oh no. One of those was that hospitality was a massive deal in the first century. Hospitality is a pretty big deal for us. Like, it's, it's cool when somebody offers to, to take us to a meal or something like that. But it's also a fairly, like, you can have relational discord and still sit down at a meal. It might not be a fun meal. It might be a quiet meal. But we will do that. But in the first century, if you ate with somebody, that said, that raised a cultural flag that said, hey, I accept this person period. I think that they're good. I think that they're okay. So that's the first cultural flag that was waved. The other one is called shame and honor. And in this society, there was this this regular look that you had at people. Think about it as reputation. You either had honor or you had shame. And if you had honor, that gave you the keys to all of the societal and all of the, all of the business and financial practices that the society participated in. You could do business, you could be social, you could go to synagogue, you could, you could do all of the regular things that you could do in society if you were a person of honor, if you had a good reputation. But if you were a person of shame, all that stuff went away. All that stuff was gone. And here's where it gets a little bit more complicated. If you were a person of honor, I'm the honorable one. And I go to the person with shame and I think that they're okay and I eat with them. Their shame transfers to me. So for Jesus, this rabbi who is a person of honor, to go and sit with this person of shame and hang out with him, The Pharisees are going, what are you doing? You're totally wrecking your ministry. We're not sure we like you yet, but this isn't what rabbis do. What are you doing? So it was a big deal for him to walk over and do this. But there's some very important critical truths about who God is and who we are that transcend culture, that inform us and help us understand what Jesus was doing here. The first is that in God's reality, we're all in the shame camp, apart from him. Apart from him, we're all there. Romans, the Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. How many? No one. None. Apart from him. But before Jesus was even born, Before he came into this world, there was a prophet who who God had inspired and gave a snapshot into something that was coming. And that prophet's name is Isaiah. And he said this, 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus provides a way out of not just shame, but when it comes to sin, it's actually death. He gives us a way out of that into life. And in this moment, Jesus is fully aware of this. Jesus was not scared of walking into this connection with Levi and going, oh no, I might become a shameful person. See, with Jesus, who he connects to, they don't rub off on him, he rubs off on them. And so he is coming to Levi and he brings him honor. He brings him righteousness. He brings him life because that's what Jesus does. He's not concerned, scared, or worried about what sin is going to do to him. He is coming in to make a difference in this person's life. What's the difference? John says it this way, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decisions, or a husband's will, but born of God. He knew that's what he was doing. He was walking into Levi's life and saying, follow me. And if he does, he gets life. And that's the opportunity you and I have every day, each day. That's what Jesus has provided for us. He has provided us a way to life. And so as Jesus is talking with his disciples and as the disciples are talking to the Pharisees, all of a sudden Jesus hears what they're saying and he says this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the truth that we need to anchor to and recognize is that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there really are two camps here. That doesn't mean that there are the righteous and there are the sinners. What Jesus really is telling them is, I came for you. Levi recognized it. The Pharisees thought they had it figured out. The Pharisees thought they were doing religious things and that was going to be what was needed. The reality is, is they were just as lost as the Levi's of the world, apart from Jesus. And that's the tension that you and I have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with the reality that apart from Jesus, that's where we all are. But that's also the hope that we have, amen? That's also the hope that you and I have and the hope that you and I can extend to others. These are the opportunities that we have in front of us. We serve an amazing God. You know, there's, there's times in life where life just feels unfair, doesn't it? In fact, my boys, they will say often, that's not fair. And we may not shout it, but there's times in life when we think it, isn't there? Hear me on this. Life's not fair. And when we, as we're looking to follow God, look at that. 
we can be tempted to say, man, life's not fair. God's not fair. What's he doing? Hear this. Don't throw me out. God's not fair. He's not. If we got what was fair, in our eyes, we would not have hope. He's better than that. He's better than fair. He's loving, and he is gracious, and he is just, but he is perfect in all of those things. And yes, life gets weird. Life gets funky. Life gets confusing. Life gets messy. We get into relationships that we go, where did this come from? We have someone who sees us, pursues us, and accepts us. Because Jesus' acceptance is scandalous. It really is. We don't deserve it. But he gives it to us freely anyway. This is the Jesus Scripture. This is the Jesus that lives today. This is the Jesus that each of us have opportunity at relationship with. Every day. And so, as we recognize this, we see that Jesus was doing something incredible with Levi. There's just a few short verses, but he is reaching out and he is pursuing this man that no one else would pursue. And he is drawing him into relationship with himself that doesn't only save him from some social messy stuff, but saves him eternally. And that eternity began right then. As we look at this, we can ask ourselves some questions too. There's three of them. As we look at the relational road Jesus walks, it calls us to three questions. The first is this. Jesus says, follow me. How do you respond? How do you respond? Now, if we've grown up in church and our family went to church and that was what we've done and that's kind of where our social world is, those are all good things. That's a great thing. If you grew up with that upbringing, that's what I grew up with. My dad's a pastor, for crying out loud. Like, that's what I grew up with. But we need to come to a personal place where we make a conscious decision to say yes to his invitation to follow him. If we don't, those things are all nice and they're all great, but they're about as good and as great as what the Pharisees were doing, and that's it. We have to come to the place where we personally say, yes, I will follow you. And let me just say, when we come to that place, it turns your life upside down in the most beautiful way. And you have the God of the universe say, all right, let's go. Let's walk this out. And he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you get to walk with him, not just every day, every moment. So, how do you respond? And Jesus says, follow me. If you've never responded to that. There's no more important decision in this life. There's no more important decision than coming to the place where I say, I recognize that he says, follow me, and I say yes, or I say no. And those really are your options. Because Jesus also said in another place, you're either for me or against me. Like, there's no fence to ride. 
Yes or no? You can choose both, one or the other. But man, walking with Jesus is the best thing ever. So, if you've never done that, I would encourage you, the step to take is to pray to him and to say, I see what you're asking me. I'm not sure I even understand all of the steps we're going to take together, but I know you provide me hope. I know you did that. I'm in. Yes, I'll follow you. And I'm actually going to give us a moment here in a second to pray together. And if that's where you're at, if you've never done that, I'm just going to ask you to to walk with me through that. I'm going to pray a prayer. Listen, there's nothing magical about the prayer. There's nothing, it's not about saying the right words in the right order at the right time. It's about a personal choice and a heart condition. And when we step into that relationship, Jesus will come in. and He will renew your life. So, if that's where, I'm going to ask us all, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask that no one would move around. Let's just give everybody a moment to just evaluate, who am I and where am I at with Jesus? And if that's where you're at, if you recognize, yeah, I need to say yes to Jesus, pray something like this. Jesus, I know I need you. You have created an opportunity at something incredible, at new life with you. I need that. I say yes to your invitation to follow. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you help me to walk forward with you starting today? In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me and that's the first time that you've prayed something like that and it meant something to you, first of all, welcome to God's family. It's the most important decision you can make in this life. Way to go. Second of all, I would love to connect with you because I'd love to get some great material into your hands to help you take some next steps. I know I'm brand new. I'd still love to connect. I'd love to help you out. There's two other questions real quickly. For all of us, whether you just said yes to Jesus or you're, you've been with him for decades when it comes to this passage. And the first is this. How does Jesus' pursuit and acceptance inform my relationships? How does his model inform how I live? How does his model with this man model what I should be doing? Perhaps there are people in my life that whether I'm not sure that I like them or not, society may not like them or not. Jesus bled and died for them. And I have an opportunity to reach out and say, hey, Jesus sees you. I do too. What do you think? Want to try this out? You know, this, this, is, this is a simple thing. It might feel weird if you've never done it before, but it's actually really easy, and I've seen so many people be blessed by this. I would encourage you, if you're in that spot where you're like, yeah, I know that person, I would encourage you to say, all right, Lord, I might take a step that I'm not sure about. 
Would you be with me in this? And then go to that person and say, hey, I don't know where life's at, but here's where my life is. It's better with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to church or not. I'm not trying to be weird, but would you come and sit with me? I'd love to, I'd love to show you and see what they do. Their, their response is up to them, but our response is to be faithful to the call that God's had on us. I would encourage you to try that. Last question is this. Who in your life needs the doctor? So, I'm going to encourage you. Think about a name. Come up with a name. Who do you know that needs the doctor? Because he came for the sick, not for the righteous. And that's all of us. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is rich with opportunities for us to learn to know you better, to know your heart better, to learn how we can walk with you in new ways. As we think about how you connected with Levi, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us know how we can take our next steps in following you and how we can bring others along in that journey? In Jesus' powerful name, amen.